My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Well, Monday, October 7th, 2019, this is Messiah Matters number 275, bringing you a secret show. My name is Caleb Hag. And wondering if the funk guitar we're listening to is a sample or actually a performance, I'm Rob Van Rob Van Hoff, also coming to you live from a new computer. Woot woot. What? <laughs> yeah. Rob, uh... Yeah, Rob got a new computer because his old one just straight up died. So I, I don't have what I don't have today. You look good, by the way. The, the picture's coming through clear. It looks Thank You look you. new. You look like you're coming through on a new computer. That's what you look like. We're This is a secret show for those who don't know. We didn't send out show notes or anything. We just decided, hey, you know what? Let's just go. Wednesday is... MMSS. Yes. Micro, uh, Messiah Matters secret, secret show. show. Yes. Um, but we still got 12 people in the chat room, which we're happy that everybody's there. Uh, and we got some great things to talk about. Now, first of all, I'm not going to run producer credits. And the reason why is because we have new producers. And if you want to be one of our executive producers, then um, you can go to TorahResource.com. If you go to the store, you can go to other materials. And in there, there's a producer credit. Produ- produce- producer credit is 100 bucks for... Uh, essentially, uh, well, what is it? Yeah, almost four weeks, uh, three weeks, uh, three months, right? So it's twelve weeks. Twelve weeks is a producer credit. So if you if you pay the hundred dollars, you get the producer credit for a whole twelve weeks, and basically it entails all sorts of stuff. You get a really cool mug, and each mug is different for each quarter. So if you get this producer credit mug. No one else will have it except for the producers in this. After this uh, period is over, they go away. You can never buy them again. So that's number one. Number two, your credits will show up throughout the shows in the period that you uh, purchase a credit for. You can write us a note that we will possibly read online. Um, And actually, I'm thinking about So check this out, Rob. Here's an idea. I'm going to fly this. Oh, look at that. And, uh, And Mike has put in a producer credit into the, like, sign up for a producer credit into the chat room. Cool. Um, here's what I was thinking. Here's here's my idea. Now, this is going to take a little accounting from me. But what if anyone who, who purchases five producer credits, now, that doesn't mean in a row, just five throughout time, goes from executive producer to producer. Now, we'd have to figure out what you get as a producer, but I'm thinking at the end of the show, we can run producer credit, like 
we'll put instead of having the end picture, we'll have producers come up. I'm thinking of other things too. I think there should be some good perks. Not just having five awesome cups on your shelf. Right. You will. You will. Your to, name to will, share with guests. Yeah, your name at, will live you know, in infamy. If, anyway, all right. Uh, I'm just know, wondering. Yeah, is there a bi? He's got a, a different mug of coffee with a different producership mug. Well, I think the people who have had a producer credit, like whoever leads the Bible study gets the newest one, and then they rotate <laughs> down. I th- so check this out. I think I'm not positive, but I think that uh, the people who have the most oh, what's going on here? Hang on just a sec. The people who have the most uh, producer credits are probably the Millers. I think they have every single mug that we've ever produced. It'd be cool to see a picture of them with all their mugs. Yeah, just lined up in front, no <laughs> doubt. Alright, Millers, you've heard it. We, we need a oh, picture. Funny. Did I tell you that, by the way, I, I know this is totally not, anyway, uh, uh, Chris Hansen sent us a picture of the, his toilet and which way the uh, the water swirls because he's oh, yeah, from yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah we should, we never. He did that. Him. Well, he did the sink for me, but I think it was. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, different direction. <laughs> okay, hey, um, they're going into spring right now. I know it. Yep. Which is like all y'all down ender. That's sorry. That's that's not. Her. Was <laughs> that supposed uh, to be a, an Australian no. accent? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> No, but yes. someone told me you say, in order to say razor blades, you say rise up lights. Rise, <laughs> rise up lights. <laughs> wow, dude. Rise up lights is razor blades. <laughs> wow. I don't know where I heard that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let's clarify something from last week. You know, we've gotten a lot of email because we talked, we talked about, uh, we talked about the Hebrew roots movement and I was taking exception to the fact that people might say that we're in the Hebrew Roots movement. Now, what I think mistakenly happened is that people thought that this was a slam on the Hebrew, like if you're Hebrew Roots. Uh I'm not Lutheran, but I'm not slamming the Lutherans when I say I'm not Lutheran. I'm not, you know, I, I don't attend a Baptist church. I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, I hold to the Baptist confession or whatever, although I hold to most of it. That's not a slam on the Baptist. Um, it wasn't intended to be a slam to say I'm not, I don't consider myself Hebrew roots. And predominantly that has to do with certain theological views that I believe the Hebrew roots, no, the majority what, the of slam Hebrew, was, was a, something I said that came across as you don't know Hebrew, therefore you shouldn't be called Hebrew roots. That's where right? the, taken, yeah, that's where people. It was taken to mean. That's not what I meant. I I did point out though that my experience, and we don't need to rehash that again. But but the point is, is that if you consider yourself Hebrew roots, great. And if you know that's totally fine. I don't have a problem. And you you know if you want to uphold that theology, then uphold it and uphold it with vigor. But the but the point is, is that. I'm not putting you down for saying that you're Hebrew roots. What I am saying is don't call me Hebrew roots. And the reason why is because I don't hold to what I think are some of the majority opinions of Hebrew roots. And by the way, I went in and I looked at the uh, the uh, he- Hebraic Roots Network, which is a network of teachers who consider themselves Hebrew roots. Mark Biltz is in there. Um, Dina Dye. There's... Uh, 
just a, there's a lot of different people in, in there, right? Who uh, that are on that website, and I I think that a, some of them have a lot of really great things to to say, um, and I I think that with just like with any teacher, you have to be discerning of what the person says. I think that with any teacher. Um, but the, the overall point that I was attempting to make was I don't consider myself Hebrew roots because there is some mainline theological threads that run through the majority of those people on, on that website and other people that claim to be Hebrew roots. And I don't hold to those things. Therefore, I do not consider myself Hebrew roots. But people shouldn't see that as, as oh, Caleb's downing the Hebrew roots movement. Now, if, you, if I need to down the Hebrew roots movement, I wouldn't down the entire movement. What I would do is I would say, this is a theological, this right here, this theology, and describe said theology, I don't agree with because. That's how I would disagree with, not down, but disagree with a movement. And I do the same thing with, you know, I don't believe in, you know, I don't hold to the Episcopal Church because theological issue, uh, you know, just with any church, right? Lutheran. Uh-oh, did we lose? Okay, there we go. Um, anyway, choose your theological stance and and uh, or your denominational uh, ties, and I would describe why I do or do not align sure. myself. That's Yeah, you know. but I mean, it, it still goes to the point, though, that I don't think Hebrew roots, well, what I consider Hebrew roots to be a same kind of thing as like a denomination because it doesn't have a, there's no clear stance of what it, what it rejects. Like in other words, and this is, and honestly, I was talking to somebody this past week uh, and I said, if they would, if somebody would create a, a uh, statement of faith or a, you know, whatever, a confession and say, this is what we believe, and this is what defines us from other denominations, or, okay, then we could look at it and say, yes, I agree, or no, I don't agree. Right now, you just have tons of different people saying, oh, well, I'm Hebrew Roots, and I believe this, but it's totally different from what this person over here says. In my mind, that's a, that in and of itself is a huge problem, and a reason to probably say, eh, I'm not going to label myself as such. One other thing that it, while we're looking back was, I think it was last week or the week before, Caleb talked about this word, this Greek word dogma, dogma, and I told him, no, it's not in Colossians, it's in Ephesians. Oh, yes. He, he's actually correct. It's, it's in, I think he said 2.16. It's actually in 2.14. I just wanted, I put it on our Facebook page too, but um, it occurs only in Luke Acts and then Ephesians and Colossians. Um, and it's always man given. The point is that it's uh, issued by man, don't not we find by God. It, don't we find the word dogma also used in non-canonical works? I thought that yeah, there was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like in, in... It's used in Maccabees, I think Second Maccabees, for Judean decree. But it's also used in the Greek translations of like Daniel and Esther, where there's like the Persian king issues a decree. It's that that sort of thing. Um, Joseph in the chat room says they call themselves, speaking of the Hebrew roots, uh, they call themselves a movement, not a denomination. What is that? 
Yeah. The hippies well, called themselves the, the hippies called themselves a movement, but there wasn't. Any- yeah, it's probably grass. I think of it like a grassroots. I don't know when I say what does that mean. Even grassroots, it means that there's a. I think I could I could appreciate that it's a movement. The problem is, is that I can't. I mean, I think movement's better than than denomination. Obviously, uh, it's more vague. It's more loose. Are your congregations part of a denomination? My congregation is non-denominational. We call ourselves non-denominational Christians. We lean towards towards the Baptist side of things. Uh, the Baptist confession is something that we can't affirm, though, because of certain elements. However, and I saw this from a really good... I Actually, was it the Gospel Coalition? I forget. I read an article recently on uh, should we uh, hold to the the old confessions? And the person basically said, look, each confession was written uh, usually to combat a specific problem, which is true. And so we don't necessarily need to hold to, you know, but each uh, each group, if you're not part of a larger denomination, if you're going to call yourself non-denominational, you should probably have a faith statement. And I agree with that. I have no problem with that. And that's something that the congregation that I am a part of has uh, been discussing. The leadership in our congregation has been talking about we need to put together some form of a face statement so that we can say this is what, at least if nothing else, this is what the leadership believes in. Right, right. Good. Um, okay. Let's move. Let's move on. We had some really, really good uh, emails this past week. And let's go to some of them. Uh, this is from a guy named Tim. I don't know if I've received emails from Tim before or not. I get a lot of emails. So if you email me regularly um, and I don't recognize, I'm, I apologize. Um, I have a lot of conversations with people over email. And it's hard when you're not looking at somebody's face. So, Tim, if we've had long, drawn-out conversations through email, I apologize. Okay. Uh, he says, would you guys say that Torah resource position on the Torah is Torah resources position on the Torah is similar to theonomy. Are you guys theonomists as taught by guys like Greg Bonson and Joel McDermott? If not, how is it different? This is a great question. So for those who don't know, and I'm going to try to state this, but I could, if I get parts of this wrong, I apologize. The way I understand theonomy is that theonomy teaches that the, the Torah or God's law is, they wouldn't use the word Torah from what I understand. They would use the word God's law. God's law is applicable, it is morally, morally applicable to all believers in all times. Now, uh, Greg Bonson, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I could be wrong. It could be Banson, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. He co-authored a book with uh, some very uh, good scholars. Walter Kaiser is one of them, Douglas Moo, Wayne Strickland, and Willem Van Van Gemmeren. I'm sorry for butchering that name. It's called The Law, The Gospel, and The Modern Christian, Five Views. Now, Greg Bonson is one of these views. He wrote the chapter the theonomic uh, the, the reformed approach to law and gospel. Now, I'm going to fully admit that I have not done extensive research outside of reading this chapter and what Bonson says. However, what I retained from 
what Bonson says on theonomy is this, that it is a pretty standard Christian view of the law. And what I mean by that is Bonson, at least from what I've read here, believes that the law has been broken up into three. And we, we got into this with uh, when we talked about uh, Jeff Durbin, and, and uh, I believe uh, we talked a little bit about this. But basically, they, they would take the Torah and they'd break it up into three major parts. That is moral, uh, ceremonial, and civil. And so basically what they would say is that the moral laws apply to Christians uh, in in some way, shape, or form. In other words, those moral laws never change. Now, just as a very quick overview, I would say, okay, even if you wanted to break them up into cer- civil, ceremonial, and moral, which I don't necessarily think that is uh, correct to do, because, and we've talked about this before, but one of the main reasons would be like, uh, look at a law like the Sabbath. Well, if you look at the Sabbath, the Sabbath is moral, it's civil, and it's ceremonial. So it covers all three. You can't can't break it up and say it's it's one or the other. Um, and so with that in mind, I would say that the Torah itself, it, even if you break it up into those three categories, that all of the law applies to Christians today. Now, of course, we're going to have so many people cry foul and say, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you pick and choose the laws that you want, right? This is a really big one. And actually, uh, Tony from uh, Wretched, he he tried to he tried to say that this is what people in the Hebrew Roots movement do is they pick and choose the laws. Well, the reason that they would say that they pick and choose the laws is they go to some interesting ones. One of the ones that they go to is, well, do you wear um, clothes of mixed fabric? Um, we've talked about this before. Uh, the the prohibition is teased out more to uh, say that you're not allowed to mix uh, linen and wool. And my answer to that is, no, I do not buy clothes that are mixed linen and wool. Uh, that is reserved for the priest. Linen and yeah, wool. so some of those questions are low-hanging. Right. Like, they, like they're really not very, very well thought out with the, the challenges. Okay, let's go back. So understand. Take. I need to go back and just rehammer. What did this email mean? The the person asking about theonomy. How? So, what's the core definition of theonomy? Um. Hmm. Well, because my understanding is theonomy means that we need to run, run, governments like the United, like yes. like, like United States. Yes. By the Torah. Yes. That the Torah is the legal law of the land. So therefore. Even capital punishment, so capital punishment and uh, um, all sorts of physical punishment and fines and everything would uh, reflect direct biblical law being legislated. I'm not positive, but yes. I think I, that's what theonomy. Yeah, I think that you're right, and I'm not positive, but I believe that— uh, What's that? Oh, anyway, uh, I'm not positive, but I think that Ted Cruz was uh, is a theonomist. In other words, I think that the idea of electing Ted Cruz into and I'm not getting into poli- politics here, but I think this no, is but a, uh, Glenn Beck, who's hardcore Mormon, was he they he I have recordings of him saying that he thought that 
Ted Cruz was anointed by God to be president and all that. I mean, you see the same thing with people in Trump right now. Oh, you know, thank that praise the Lord for Trump, Uh, which I, which ultimately I don't think people realize this, but I think this goes ultimately to a bit of replacement theology. In other words, that God is working with America as a government, as opposed to Israel. I'm I'm all pro pray for your leaders. Oh, absolutely. But, but to try to fit, who was it? Wasn't there someone who's saying that God had a covenant with Israel or, or with the United States? And then like, so the Shemitah year, yeah, Jonathan Kahn. Yeah. Like what, like that sort of thing. Well, you know? I'm not, that, look, that, I don't know if he's a theonomist, but that seems like if you're going to try to say that because America doesn't observe the Shemitah, the United States, that the government is somehow punished by God or cursed by God, that it seems like you must have a theonomist framework. Otherwise, you wouldn't make that argument. Am I tracking with this? I, Yeah, I mean, this has been a, a, a bit of a question that I've rolled around in my brain, which is, okay, well, if the nations will rise up and, and, and come to the Lord, then obviously the nations should probably begin to start following God's law. But I think that that is an individual, it starts as an individual uh, you know, from the individuals. And I, basically the point is, is that yes, nations will come to serve the Lord, but that doesn't mean that, that the United States is in this, in the same place as Israel in terms of the covenantal structure that God has set up with, with America. And just because you have believers in America does not mean that the government itself is under God's anyway. Okay. Let's go. Well, in the kingdom, you know, the gospel, I think, Time and time again, studies have shown that the gospel spreads most rapidly when it's underground, like right. when they're when it's totally different than the when the government is against it. You know, when the give whether it's in China or some Middle Eastern country, you know, where the where the church is persecuted. Right. That's the op. That's that seems to be the norm. The norm seems to be governments of the world that are uh, now of course it's not all the case if we went through Europe we could see Europe has been dechristianized for example France France keeps retreating in the face of of uh, immigration you know and you have huge Muslim communities in France that are that impose Sharia law for their local communities and their no-go zones for French right. police for example so we We'd have to be specific and look at each case, but generally, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe the apostles pushed a theon a theonomic perspective. This is I think well, okay, this is Acts chapter one. Yeshua, they said, "Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" Right, and he said, "It's not for you to know." Now is the message of you take the gospel to the world, and the enactment of the new covenant, which is what you were saying, Caleb, the the heart of the of each individual member of God's kingdom. It's an inside working outward, and God's the one that's that's bringing the fruit, and He's steering the ship. So, so, so any idea that we need to impose, like stoning in our local community or something like that, is a mis misunderstanding of of the problem of our of our predicament of our situation. So this is what um. This is what uh, Greg um, Bonson 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 says. Bonson, I believe it is. 
Um, and he gives 12 points of what he, what he's trying to summarize theonomy, okay? And uh, I'll go to what he says about government. He says, um, this is number eight through, oh, well, we'll go until we need to stop. Number eight, Christian involvement in politics calls for recognition of God's transcendent, absolute, revealed law as a standard by which to judge all social codes. Well, if that's the case, then what about the Sabbath? People are supposed to be stoned. Okay, I, I, that, but I could understand what I heard him to say there is that your orient world, whether it's politics or anything or law, civil law, is first through the lens of the Bible. So if I'm going to look to the Bible first, then right. I'm going to make judgments about my local government's laws based on my value of the Word of God as the primary source. So. Okay, hang on just a sec. Let's go to uh, the next one in here. Sorry, I was making a comment in the chat room. Um, okay, so that was number eight. Number nine, civil magistrates <clears throat> in all ages and places are ob obligated to conduct their offices as servants of God, as agents of divine wrath against criminals, and as those who must give an account on the final day of their service before the king of kings, their creator and judge. I would say that about any believer. So absolutely, if you're in, you need to conduct yourself that way if you are in that position. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. Number 10, the general continuity that we presume with respect to the moral standards of the Old Testament, moral standards of the Old Testament, see, applies equally to matters of socio-political ethics as it does to personal family or ecclesiastical ethics. Number 11, the civil precepts of the Old Testament standing ju judicial laws are a model of perfect social justice for all cultures, even in the punishment of criminals. Outside of those areas where God's law prescribes their intervention and application of penal redress, uh, civil rulers or are not authorized to legislate or use coercion in the economic marketplace. Say that last little bit about okay. coercion. So he says, um, well, outside of those areas where God's law prescribes their intervention— an application of penal redress. Civil rulers are not authorized to legislate or use coercion. In other words, if God's law says you need to stone uh, homosexuals, that, yeah. you, and and the law of the land says don't, you're not allowed to discriminate against homosexuals. You have to. You might be able to use whatever uh, your office allows you, but you're not allowed to go against those authorities. That's what they're saying. So. So, so it's kind of a modified theonomy or something. It's well, a modified. It's a. It's what it means is you have believers. Well, here's the thing. What? Why? Why would you have to be a believer for that to be true? What if you're an Orthodox Jew? Well, here's the thing, though. The Orthodox Jew is going to think that there's laws that are different for Jewish people than for Gentiles. But in any case, let's just say there's an Orthodox Jew who's a politician and or a legislator. <clears throat> They're in a similar situation. They have a, a privileged ideal, which encapsulated in rabbinic law, that they're committed to with their life, and they believe that they're representing that community. They probably worship with that community all the time, and they're answerable to that community. And that's probably their community that might have voted them in. Well, they go and 
participate in these things. They're in a similar situation. They're going to they're going to try to legislate according to their moral code. So you could have multiple theonomists. You could have an Orthodox Jewish theonomist. You could have a Ted Cruz, you know, Christian politician who's a theonomist. And they're not all going to be on the same picture of what even the law is. Here's the thing. I guess my you could have a, a Muslim could be a theonomist. They're 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 coming into the uh, American political arena and try to make laws, and they're going to come from a worldview that says Sharia laws is is the main law. So these are all examples of theonomies, I would say. I I guess, I guess the basic point for me is: look, as believers, we we should. Uh, live according to the best we possibly can. And I want to go back to picking and choosing here in a few seconds, but we should live our lives as best we possibly can according to what we believe God has called us to do. What I believe God has called every believer to do is to live according to the standards which God has set forth for the elect. Okay, with that said, if I'm a politician, if I'm a lawyer, if I'm a judge, whatever it is, I should, in my best ability, do what I believe the Lord is calling to me to do. And if, for some reason, I feel like the law is pushing me to do something that is clearly against Scripture, I need to take the higher, uh, the, the higher authority, obviously, sola scriptura, for sure. With all of that said, we can live like that, but that doesn't mean that God is working with America in a covenant relationship to bring uh, the people of, of faith in that country to... Uh, to rule that country and bring it into the kingdom. Now that might he might use America in certain ways and any country, Peru, as somebody said in the uh, in the chat room, he could use Brazil. He could use. I mean, to think that for some reason uh, uh, the U.S. is is better than any other we country. Got the market cornered. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. got the market cornered on God and the Bible is ridiculous. And so he might use us. He might use America to come up and try to attack Israel. He might use America to turn against Israel. He might. Heaven forbid. I know. Heaven forbid. But the yeah. point is, is yeah. why we think that America is so much special, more special than anyone else is beyond me. The point is, is we I have, would say this, that America is in a position that has been given a lot. In other words, we have resources. Well, you know, just all the English translations of the Bible that we have and all the Bible software and all the websites that people use to study the scriptures and all the YouTube, you know, whether it's a good teaching or bad teaching, I would say the lion's share of all that content is produced in the United States. Let's would go, that be crazy saying that? Well, I, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, and we have a unique situation. The Lord has blessed believers in this, in this nation to be able to freely study and for now, Right. For now, we don't know where that's going to go. Being, you know, will my children or my children's children have that same uh, luxury in in fifty years? The Lord only knows. Okay, um, so it's a good question, but I want to go back to this idea of choosing, picking, and choosing. One of the things that that people like Tony on Wretched, which once again, I want I want to make it very clear, and even Jeff Durbin, you know, I respect Jeff Durbin and I respect Tony at Wretched uh, Radio and. Uh, all these guys, I respect them a lot, and uh, you know, I still enjoy listening to Jeff Durbin. He, he, I don't think that Jeff really gave us the, a fair shake when it came to trying to have any kind of a conversation with us. That's okay, whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, 
But the idea of picking and choosing, and that wasn't Jeff's words. That was actually Tony's word from Wretched Radio. Uh, most people pick and choose. And I think he was actually quoting a, uh, a, a, an article. Anyway, the point is, what do, they, what do people mean when they say people who um, are pushing for Torah for Jew and Gentile, like they pick and choose? What are they talking about? Well, ultimately what they're p- talking about are uh, the laws regarding purification in the temple. However, this comes, I think, from a lack of understanding of the position that there is no temple and therefore uh, the purity laws are essentially moot at this point, not because we want them to be or not because we want to pick and choose them, but because everyone is in a state of ritual uncleanliness. In other words, corpse defilement has reached the entire world after 2,000 years of having no temple. We don't have the ability to become ritually pure, no matter what we do. I could... Uh, you know, I could keep myself in a bed for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter if my mother touched me at any point in my life. I have corpse defilement and uh, I mean the whole nine. So th- the idea that we pick and choose these laws, no, we don't pick and choose them. God has has uh, brought certain judgments. Well, did, did we have Israel. an email about the first Corinthians five about the 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 man that slept with his father's I, wife. Uh, hang on just a sec. Am I saying this wrong? Did I say Tony at Wretched? Hang on just a sec. Am I thinking of... Uh, uh, I don't know. I think, I'm talking of, I'm think I'm, I think I'm talking about Fred. I, I, hang on just a sec. Keep talking. <laughs> filler, filler, filler. No, keep going. What were, you, what were you saying? Didn't we have an email recently of someone asking about, I think it was 1 Corinthians 5, asking if... How come Paul didn't say that guy should be stoned? You know, because he slept with his his father's wife. Right. Where, when instead he was kicked out of the community. Right. Like, why wasn't he stoned? Right. So if so, if we have if someone emailed us that that ties into this problem. How come Paul? That I mean, that's the question. If the Torah says, and maybe not necessarily stoning, but it certainly says, I think it's Leviticus twenty. Um. I looked it up. Leviticus, there's a couple places, but one place it specifically says we put to death. Um, well, yeah, Leviticus 20, verse 11. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall be surely put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Okay, so right. one could criticize the apostle. Hang on just a sec. Okay, go if ahead. You, or, or criticize... If, if you cut out, Paul cut really out believes that if Paul is really a believer, then in the Torah, then why would he not say you need to stone that guy and the woman, and right. then and move on? How come Paul didn't say that? <laughs> you're juggling. Well, you're, doing a, you're pulling a Van Hoff. I'm sorry, I am pulling a Van Hoff, and I I need to say this. Okay, look. So uh, I was thinking of um, Tony uh, Verkinis. Uh, there, it's their recording guy. Anyway, Todd Friel is the guy at Wretched. That's who I'm. Th- that's who I'm trying to say. Tony, the guy with the voice, with the voice of gold. Right. Dustin was right. Okay, keep going. I apologize, Van Hoff. I I am pulling a Van Hoff. Um, so back to theonomy. Why didn't Paul? Say, stone the guy and the woman. Oh yeah. Instead yeah. of kick him out. And this is a question from Evelyn. Should you do? Do you want to play the clip? Sure. Oh, was that audio? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, let's 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 listen to the clip. That okay. We'll give some because this ties into this idea of theonomy, the right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, this from Evelyn. This was going to be number three, but well, this is going to be topic number three, but we'll move it. Good morning. This is Evelyn Young. I hope you all are doing well, and I really appreciate your program. I have two questions in regards to First Corinthians chapter five. Um, the young man in the congregation that is scolded for sleeping with his father's wife is um, why isn't he stoned? Because Leviticus 20 says that if you sleep with your father's wife, I'm paraphrasing, that both the the man and the woman are to be uh, stoned to death. Okay, we're going to stop it right there. She goes on and has another great question. But for now, let's Good. Yeah, talk that's about the, this. Right, that's the verse I was thinking too. Kayla, I think you told me visual, visual or uh, told me about it, but I didn't hear it. So, good, great question. Why didn't he? If you, Paul do you was, want, a, do you want my my answer first? Sure. Okay, here's my answer. Because the Corinthians were not under, uh, they didn't have the ability to put someone to death for capital punishment for for that kind of thing. The temple didn't even have the ability to put someone to death for capital punishment in that kind of a case. The only time that the, that the temple was allowed to put, under Roman rule, the only time that the temple was allowed to put somebody to death is if somebody crossed over the the uh, the line of, of... A non-Jew. A non-Jew crossed over the line. Or if somebody tried to go into, like, the the Holy of Holies or yeah, something like they that. They didn't even, they couldn't even put, they didn't have the right to put Yeshua to death. Right, exactly, but which is why they took him even and now he was innocent, but they had even with trumped up charges, they still needed some sort of Roman sanction, you know, permission to move forward. Um, here's the thing. Here's the important point. Just because Paul does not say stone him doesn't mean that in according to God's law that it accurately expresses what just punishment is. Right. In other words, just Agreed. punishment. If you were to ask Paul, what is the just punishment? And if you were part of the Corinthians and you write, hey, this happened, what's the just punishment? Paul would say, he would cite the same scripture that Evelyn cited or one of those parallels. Right. Yeah. The punishment according to Torah is stoning. Well, the but other... this is what you need to do. Because, think... because only then do we get the gravity of the sin. Right. Paul's not trying to fudge or blur the gravity or lessen the, the weight of the transgression. I think the other, I mean... That's what he says they should have mourned. Verse 2, you've become arrogant. You have not mourned instead. Why would he say, why, why have you not mourned? They're, they don't understand the gravity of the sin. Mourning is what happens when someone dies. We have... A very interesting comment in the <laughs> uh, in the chat room. Cephas was actually the authority to put Christ to death, and he believed he was the Messiah. No, I don't don't. No, wait, wait, wait. Kepha, Simon Peter, Cephas, Caiaphas. Oh, Caiaphas. That's not. That, wait, wait, Caiaphas had the authority, but he believed that Yeshua was the he, Messiah. He was. He didn't have the authority to put Yeshua to death. That's incorrect. No, I'm sorry. They, they, the, the, the Jewish, uh, you know, there's a really good academic book on this, on execution 
right. in ancient Judaism and how you have the ideal of the Torah and then you have it uh, uh, muted by whether it's, you know, Roman occupation or whatever authority that is preventing that. So, I yeah, I, yeah, I did work on this in, uh, in my Acts notes and uh, it's pretty widely accepted that that the whatever you want to call them, if you want to call them the Sanhedrin or well, I, I think and the scriptures use that word, but it's not what we think of in terms of Sanhedrin today, possibly. Anyway, not the point. Um, the temple authority at the time did not have the time the, the right to put people to death, which is why they brought Yeshua to Pilate. Um yeah. Okay. Sorry, that threw me. Anyway, um, I I think one of the other questions we need to I want to go back to First Corinthians five real quick. Uh, one of the questions, one of the other questions we should probably ask and or play with a little bit is whether or not the the community in Corinth w- was predominantly Roman or predominantly Jewish. In other words, did we have converts from? some sect of Judaism within Corinth that said, aha, Yeshua is the Messiah, or was it predominantly Gentiles and or pagans who said, oh my word, this is right, and came to Christ? Well, we have, we have Acts, was it Acts 18? I don't remember where he, he, Paul spends a year and a half there. Right. You know, living with the, the guy who's the Arche Synagogue, the guy who oversees the synagogue. So presumably he's spending a year and a half Shabbat after Shabbat teaching. Absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff we don't, we just don't know. You know, we, but I mean, this would also play into the idea of capital punishment. First of all, up in Corinth, they certainly did not have the ability to, to enact capital punishment on whoever they, well, they wouldn't imagine themselves having that authority. Exactly. But they would warn and they would treat it. They, I mean, that's why he says you should have mourned upon this, you know, well, Paul because goes, of this. Yeah. Paul goes out from Jerusalem, right, on the road. He's, he's on the road and this is when Yeshua shows up to him. What's he doing? He's going to actually round up Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. Not to execute punishment wherever they are, but to round well, them up. Well, there's a good point. Uh, there's a good question. Under what authority was Stephen stoned? Yeah, this is a this is a boondoggle. No matter which way that, you, it, you, it doesn't really seem it. It seems like it was a spontaneous. You're right. A, yeah. a spontaneous, more of a a religious riot out of anger. Out of anger, and they it take was him. Not, they take him out. They take him yeah, out it, into it, the it, desert. It's it is not a like a judicial process, you know, of a trial with. With, you know, you know, you want to know what I, I, I this is a, a total assumption, but you know what I kind of imagine happening if Rome even knew about it. Hey, what are you guys doing? You stoned this guy. Yeah. He crossed over the barrier. Oh, they just made up a story. They just made, Yeah. Oh, he tried to he tried to run into the Holy of Holies. Anyway. OK, uh, let's keep going with Evelyn's question, because this get, this is very good. Uh, only 18 seconds left. Here we go. So why didn't that happen? And second of all, what does it mean for someone to be delivered to Satan so that their soul can be saved? If you have any insight into these things, 
Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be delivered over to Satan so that the soul can be saved? Another great question. You want to go, I or think, you want me to? I, I think this parallel. Paul's in a situation where he, he understands that the the Torah's just punishment for this sin is death. Right. And so that's his starting point. And then his second step after there is, well, we're not in a situation to legally, because because of the, you know, there is no single religious Israelite authority that has dominion for one. And this is a in a synagogue community in the Mediterranean. Right? Somehow, you know, are limited by local law and all this. There's just no scenario where Paul's going to advocate stoning. So he has to go from that. But he ha- but he's going to retain the gravity. The gravity of the sin does not change. And so he first he says you should have mourned. In other words, you should have recognized this as death. That basically they, according to Torah, they are to be put to death. And then he says you have they have to be removed from the community, and be and so they are outside of of the community. And I don't know if they would use the word shun, um, but it's basically uh, a year dead a year dead to us. Like you, you committed something worthy of the death penalty. We are not going to physically kill you, but you're, you're spiritually dead to us. Watch and me. I think the idea is he holds out hope. He says, but you don't know that this person might have complete repent, repentance in the future. Um, he seems to hold open that idea that even this, this kind of sin does not mean necessarily that he's cut off from Yeshua, ultimately. That's my take. So I, I agree with you uh, that the act of kicking him out of the community, which Watchman Nee is right in this, I think, that where he says it's equated with giving him over to Satan. This is one of the reasons that I push being in community so hard, because I think that the Bible says that not being part of a community is tantamount to being given over to Satan. Okay, with that said, a true believer is going to react to that, and they're going to react by coming in repentance. In other words, a true believer who is kicked out of the community and quote-unquote given over to Satan is going to say, I cannot be on my own. I need to repent to be part of the community. And they will, they will come to true repentance because of it. That's what he means when he says, given over to Satan so that his soul may be saved. In other words, <clears throat> you kick him out of the community so, he's, so that a true believer will say, oh, whoa, 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 okay, I was wrong. And it says, uh, verse 4, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So, question, does that mean he could be without community for the rest of his physical life but still be saved? Yeah, this is it's, it's a tough situation. We, we don't know all the context. Uh, Paul was writing to a community that he'd already spent, like we said, a year and a half with. So there's all sorts of relational connection and common understanding that he's, you know, he's leveraging that, you know, all that background. It's like if I wrote a letter to Caleb, but you never knew of our relationship or our history, you, you could probably misunderstand things. 
but Caleb will understand something I write because we have relational context. So that that's with all the epistles, we have that problem. And I think here is there's going to be an element where we don't know for sure, but I think, I think it, it, it is appropriate to, to expect that Paul has behind his recommendation here, the idea of the gravity of the sin is death penalty. According to Torah, he's not budging from that. Right. Agreed. I bet. I don't think, I think one of the big problems within the quote unquote, whatever you want to say, let's use titles, the Torah movement, uh, Messianic movement, Hebrew roots movement, whatever. I think one of the big, biggest problems that we have, have seen within the movement is that people have, don't find community to be ex- like extremely important. And so people, th- people become lone rangers. They think that, oh, yeah, or they're hoppers. What do you think about hoppers? <sighs> people say, oh, you know, we're kind of hoppers. That's we're not just, part of being a community. We're just part of the larger community in the area. And so we'll just show up wherever we feel like. That's not accountability. Day. And not only that, but that's not bearing each other's burdens. Well, and I wonder, are they preventing, are they hiding something? In other words, do they have... Can they not get along with people? Is there something that they're not being forthright about, I wonder? Like, in other words, and so by staying at the margin of multiple communities and just kind of the smile, hey, how are you doing? Shabbat shalom, you know, I'm out of here kind of thing. That the accountability issue that you're pointing, but what, but are there... Are trying to hold on to something that they knew would be problematic were they to sit still and, and remain. Right. Doctrinal issues. Uh, you know, I got to say, you keep freezing, which is unfortunate. Um, oh. Okay. That's okay. I'm, we're, we're, st- we're still with you here, man. Well, I don't think, I think that we need to save. So uh, we got this really good email from a, a person named Daniel who asks, about the gospel. I think we're going to have to uh, place that on the shelf until next week. <clears throat> Let's give something that, that Rob will, will be able to really just, you know, speak directly to. Colleen writes in, she says, well, uh, so the title of her email was Aramaic New Testament. She writes in, she says, well, I think that's the correct words for what I would like to ask about. I have friends who, in their attempts to have proof for the deity of the Messiah, want to use the Aramaic or Eastern versions of the New Testament, which I don't understand. You don't need Aramaic to prove the deity of the Messiah from scriptures. It's all over the place. So this is, this is, a, re, this is a, a false reason to try to use the Aramaic New Testament. Anyway, uh, she goes on. They are reading the, and believing that these versions might be the original language of these books. Several versions they are finding online use the Tetragrammaton for Jehovah or Marya in many places, and they see this as proof. Well, all we all believe Yeshua is Yodhevavhe, but in my little bit of looking, I thought I am seeing that the consensus in the scholarly world about this is that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. That is the consensus within the scholarly world, and for good reason, because they were originally written in Greek. Okay, let's keep going. That's your footnote. That's, that's, that's my Caleb. footnote. Yes, that's my footnote. Okay, uh, she, she goes on. I thought I read that the reasons were both from manuscript evidence, that's true, and with the way that the language is written, also true. 
I am not learned and able to assess these things, so when I read what someone says about them, I have to assess if the person sounds valid. Ugh. I had the A-E-N-T from when I was first learning about Torah things, but I read Rob's article on, on it and, well, ouch. Anyway, my friends are convinced that these versions are solid proof of deity, and I believe these versions are later translations, and that the Tetragrammaton is not in the New Testament. Even so, I totally believe that the New Testament shows the deity. So, my questions are, she has three questions, here they are. Number one, what is your understanding of what the original language of the New Testament was? Greek. Let's go one by one. So, let's okay. answer the first one first. The, it is my understanding that all of the uh, books of the New Testament were originally written in Greek, and I think there is extremely surmounting proof of this time and time and time and time again. People will go to the numerous references of the Hebrew Matthew or the Hebrew Gospel, which is referenced by the Church Fathers. However, every time that this quote-unquote Hebrew Gospel is, uh, is quoted, 80% of the time, it does not line up with what is in the Gospel of Matthew, showing, right. and it's... it's or any Gospel. Or any Gospel, and yeah. it's it's pitted against everything else. So in other words, in some of the lists, they'll say the Gospel of Matthew is accepted, whereas the Hebrew Gospel or the Hebrew Matthew is spurious. This is also not to be confused with the Hebrew Matthew of the 13, 1400s, um, which... Oh, the one that... Yeah, Doton or whatever. Its name is pushed around. Go ahead. So what is yeah, your... Yeah. Evan what, Bohan. Evan Bohan, yeah. right. What is yeah, your... Yeah, there's a bunch of manuscripts of Hebrew Matthew. There's there's non-believers out there who peddle this and sell conferences and books about this. Um, and what they don't tell you is these are new manuscripts. And so even if you find Yodhe with the vowels of Yehovah, that's just because they're copying the Masoretic. Right. It's not a proof. Um, it's all new stuff, and it, a lot of it is Catholic efforts to evangelize. They're just translating Greek into Hebrew and then trying to use, uh, poorly in many cases, trying to use the uh, Hebrew vocalization tradition of the Masoretes to vocalize it. Um, so, but, yeah, Greek. To, what was the second one? Okay, hang on oh, a was... Before we go on, I want, I want to, uh, somebody asks you a very poignant question in the chat room. Vicky asks, Rob, some people are unable to participate physically, but must participate online. Are those folks still in community? We've talked about this before as well. I think that, and this is not to be mean to anyone, but I think that the majority, 95% of the people who say they're not able to attend a physical community are, that's an excuse. And I know that that sounds very harsh, but the point yeah, is, is. Yeah, I think we'd need to know the, what are the. Hang on. Now, what's the specifics of, of the yeah. case? What are the specifics? Why why can the person not attend or find a community? Is it simply that there are things that are disagreed with with the communities that are around you? Is it that you think that the people the people in communities around you are not believers? Is it that you can't start a community yourself and find another family or two to to have physical community with? Can you not move? Can I mean there's once again, it's weird to imagine it. It, it doesn't seem the, the Bible doesn't seem to have a precedent for a person who's a believer that doesn't have any relationship with any other believers where they live. Right. Right. It, that. It's not so a thing. The question is, if it's a seed, if it's a living seed, it's going to bear fruit. Right. And it'll multiply. Um, so I don't see any promotion of hermit. Hermit, hermeticism or whatever, where a person goes and lives cut off from everybody else. 
and says, I'm still a believer. You know, that the Bible doesn't, I don't see any endorsement of that. Um, this is even harsh. Elijah, this... even when Elijah tried, he thought he was, I'm the only one left. And the Lord's like, no. look, dude, yeah. there's a bunch of people you don't know about. You need, and I've got a list of things for you to do. Now go back out there, you know? Um, there are certain cases I would say where a person is unable to attend a physical community, which would be like being completely bedridden and not being able to get out of, out of your yeah, house. Yeah. So bodily physical, uh, inability is, is one category. Um, inability because of attitude issues or, you know, I just don't, I don't like that. That wouldn't be acceptable. So the question is where, where in between people are going to say, oh, well, there's no one in our area. We live in the middle of nowhere. Well, there, we've said this before. There's two choices. Uh, find some people that you can, uh, start meeting with and start a, uh, Bible group yourself. And try to get at least one other family to, to uh, be in community with you. Or move. Start praying. One of the two. Uh, the idea of, I just can't, I, you know, this goes it doesn't back. Seem, it doesn't seem like it fits with coherent Bible teaching for, for the Bible to support the idea of a person long term, you know, just living on their own, trying to survive. And, th and this actually, this is where picking and choosing would come in for the Torah movement to say, oh, well, we, you need to keep the Sabbath, but I'm going to keep it in my house alone without any uh, other believers, or I'm not going to be in community because X, Y, Z. Well, though, that's a command. It's a command to be in community. Community is not easy, right? And the, no, that's it's why <laughs> it's the commandment of love, the commandment to love and to persevere and to learn to hear other viewpoints and to communicate better. Those are all what God's interested in. They're, and so if oh, I'm just yeah. sitting, if I'm just a consumer, if I just sit and I consume on the internet, um, but I'm not in relationship, that's difficult. That's that, that there doesn't seem to be a biblical uh, permission for that sort of right. uh, thing. Cause how's love going to grow? How's you know, you're required to love others. And yes, you're, you're, others are required to love you as well. That's, that's number two of yeah. the list. It's a great question. Okay. Let's keep going with, um, okay. So hang on, three questions. Second. We had three questions. Yeah. So the first second, one. Yeah. Greek, uh, the, the Greek scriptures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number two question, best resources for demonstrating slash arguing what original language was of the new Testament. Learn Greek. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good question. That would be like, how do I build a, you know, I have an idea for a mansion I want to build. Well, do you have the million dollars you need? You know, do you have an architect and, uh, you know, a, a, someone who knows that how to build a house that it'll stay up according to code, right? All these things you have to bring in. Do you have permission to build that size of house on that lot, right? All these things come. So just having the idea of the mansion is kind of like that question. So the question is, do how bad do you want the answer to that question? And I'll tell you, the path towards answer, being able to own, come into your ownership of that, is through research and study. And it's going to involve original languages. It's going to involve, you know, learning from the the Daniel Wallaces of the world, the, you know, the Bill Mounts of the world, you know, 
in my Greek class, but there's a lot of major biblical Greek scholars out there that are treading that this is their territory. And if um, to play in the majors, you got to learn to to hit a ball and to catch a ball and to throw a pitch and etc. And that's where you because those are the people dealing with the original materials. There's no way to do it if you're just stuck on secondary sources. If you're just going to read what other people are writing about stuff and not be able to have a foot in in the original languages yourself, you're always going to be at a disadvantage. That's my opinion. Her last question is one that's, uh, that uh, is pr- we've already touched on and one that would probably take too long to actually hash out on, uh, on, the, on this episode. But your thoughts on the Hebrew Matthew. Um, I've written all my thoughts on the Hebrew Matthew in an article that is on Torah Resource. You can go to Torah Resource. You can find the article. It's under, uh, under a library. You can go to articles, and it's called In What Language Were the Synoptic Gospels Written? If you go to that article, I have a whole section on who wrote first, and then I have a whole section on this idea of Q and the original Hebrew Matthew, or, or what is known as, referred to as right. the Hebrew Matthew and the, or the Hebrew Gospel. No, back to number two. I do. I would start here. If you're, if you don't know any Greek, um, this book here. I think we've talked about it before. It's called Fundamentals of New Testament Textual Criticism. There's, that's what it looks like. Fundamentals of New Testament cri- uh, Criticism, and it's by uh, Porter and Pitts, Stanley Porter and Pitts. So if you just Google Porter and Pitts, P-I-T-T-S, Fundamentals of New Testament Textual Criticism. This one is um, Erdman's but 2015. So this is 2015. That is, I would start reading that. And if, um, to get the most out of it, you're going to have to understand a little bit of Greek at least, but I I don't know where else to tell you, but, um, you asked for a source. So that's where I would start. And just so you know, we don't even read that until second year Greek. (laughs) So that's, it's all in English, but the point is the, it, it, it presumes you have a grasp. Yeah, and the information is going to be helpful to someone who already has a basic understanding of the basic tools of Greek. But it doesn't mean that you, that you can't get anything out of it. So, so that's my answer to number two. Get that book. Uh, my apologies to Todd at Wretched Radio for the past two episodes, who I'm sure will never hear this, but nonetheless, for the past two episodes, I've called Tony, which I believe is their sound engineer. <laughs> It's still, it's a four-letter word. It starts with ta. <laughs> oh, my apologies. The funny thing is, is that I watch Todd probably three times, <laughs> three times a week. Uh, I, I usually watch his snippets. I don't watch whole shows. But um, anyway, I, 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 you know, it shows my, uh, my small-mindedness and uh, how, how little I actually know. I do apologize. Um, and uh, honestly... Although I disagree with Todd on, uh, I would say, some several things. You know, he believes in Orthodox Christianity, and uh, I would say that we agree on uh, most things. He's really got a good handle on a lot of different things, and he's fun to watch. Uh, he does have the golden voice of radio, doesn't he? Anyway. Hey, I, before we go, yeah. I would like to push, uh, if you're not on our Facebook page, Messiah Matters, I... I kind of reworked some content I put together last year, but uh, pertaining to Yom Kippur, which is is a couple days away here. And I was, I'd been thinking about how 
the apostles talk about Yeshua's uh, death as sacrifice, in terms of sacrifice. And there's different places where where um, it's likened to sacrifice, of course, throughout the New Testament or the apostolic writings. And it had occurred to me that, boy, I could put this cute little acronym together, CASE, C-A-S-E. And so this is just something, if you didn't read that, you can remember it. And it would be something maybe for your thoughts or meditation during Yom Kippur is, is the nature of Yeshua's atonement for us, the, the blood that Yeshua shed for us, which, of course, in the epistle Hebrews is likened to the, the high priest on Yom Kippur right. who goes with his own blood, not the blood of animals, and it's not for himself, but it's for his people. And that's, that's a differentiation between Yeshua's high priesthood in the heavenlies over against the Levitical priesthood in the in our world. Um, but in any event, the C-A-S-E, remember, and I just would encourage you to think about it and and see if, uh, you know, what scriptures come to mind to support it or what other discussions it might help in your communities. So C-A-S-E, Yeshua's sacrifice is first C, it's complete. That means it is, it wasn't lacking anything and it wasn't overkill. It wasn't too much or too less. It was complete. It was a complete offering. Number two, it's A for case. It's a, it was accepted or acceptable. It was complete. It was completely accepted by the father. The father did not find it deficient in any way. Um, it was not needing anything. It was not lacking anything. So it kind of builds on number one, complete, except from the father's viewpoint, it was acceptable. There was nothing that defiled it. There was nothing that disqualified it. It was a, it was a, true, acceptable, uh, accepted sacrifice. One reason we know that is because is it says God rose him from the dead, right? And that the resurrection of the dead is one of the proofs that it was acceptable. So C is complete, A, acceptable, B, or C-A-S, is it was substitutionary. It was not for himself. It was an actual transaction that a, that was accept part of its acceptability by God was that it was on behalf of Yeshua's people, not on behalf of himself. And this ties with the name Yeshua. If you remember from the Gospel of Matthew, it says you will call him Yeshua because he will save his people from, from their, their sins. sins right. And I try to point out that that was not a guess and that was not like a probable thing. That was a sure future. So when the angel gave the name to Joseph and Mary that his name would be Yeshua, and that he will save his people from his sins. That was a prophetic fact. That's This is what's going to happen in the future. Not this is might be what's going to happen. That he has his people. So that's this substitutionary. That's the S of case. Yeshua, transaction for his people. And then the last is, it is efficacious. It is effective. It accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. It wasn't like a sacrifice that that uh, you know, and you could con contrast each of these Wait, with sacrifice. E? e is what? E is it's uh, it was right. effective. It effective. was okay. efficacious. It accomplished its purpose, which was the salvation of the elect, the the redemption of God's people. Back to His name, He will save His people from their sins. He didn't need saving from His own sin. He'd never sinned, and. His people were dead in their trespasses and sins. And something needed to happen so that he could accomplish that salvation. And 
and the scriptures time and time again teach us to think of that as a sacrifice, both on the Pesach side in the spring and as Yom Kippur in the fall. And so think about that. I don't know if that's uh, that if we went by that too quickly, but C-A-S-E, complete, accepted, substitutionary, and effective. Okay, I, I want to bring up one thing that we uh, talked about in Ontario before we take off. David, our gracious and wonderful host, who <laughs> is just a wonderful brother in the Lord, he said that we should we should start a book list. Now, I think he said on Goodreads. Is that right? Oh, then that's my first entry. Well, Thanks, you, David. He did. Yeah, on Goodreads app. I'll have to put this on here. So, so I, I, already start, I already started my Goodreads, uh, and I put a book in there. And now I, I think what we can do is I will have my own and you will have your own. And then I think we can make a group. Cool. cool. And then people can yeah, join the group. Thanks again to David for that. That was a great idea, Caleb. And I had space it off until you just mentioned it. So you and I can hook, you can hook me up with that app. Right. And I will, this will be the first one I put on there. But that way people will be able to, to go to our uh, Goodreads group, I think. I don't know how this works because I just and got the And we can put app. a few comments on it. Well, yeah. But I think that what we can do is we can put books in there and then um, people can be a part of that group. They can go and see a list of the books that we recommend as like must reads or for different. I think we can put subjects and, you know, different categories. And all we have a stuff. don't read. Yeah. Put, avoid. Avoid, avoid this. Yeah. Do not read this. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you to the 30 people who have been in the chat room That's the whole amazing. time uh, for this secret episode. And, um, yeah, I guess if you uh, are planning to see us on Wednesday, we will be hungry instead of on air. And we will be back in a week and a half, uh, a week from Wednesday, essentially. Right. Uh, yeah. To come back. And that will be, um, we will be, will that be in the middle of, I think that'll be in the middle of Sukkot. That's the 16th, which is my son's birthday, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. We hope that this conversation... Seek done, first the kingdom. Yeah, has done something great, which is glorify our great God and Savior. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>